Hey, thanks for clicking on listening to or watching another episode of the Reforge Roundtable, a weekly podcast where we discuss all the latest gaming news that we think is either most interesting to us or just most interesting in general. And today, little light on the roundtable still. We've had a couple of weeks where I was traveling, everybody was traveling. Mike is still traveling, but Ginger is here with me. Thank you for being here today, sir. Thanks for having me, man. Always happy to be on the roundtable. Yeah, we're, we're excited to get into a normal swing. Mike will be back next week. We should be able to do a couple of weeks there without any breaks. I'll, I'll be back in Ohio one more time because my, uh, my brother's coming in from out of the country. So we're, uh, we're excited to have the whole family back together. But today, we have a lot to talk about. And if you ever want to catch us live, make sure to go to Reforge Gaming on YouTube. You can always go to ReforgeGaming.live to catch us there every Friday. Usually around 3 p.m. Eastern is when we do the Reforge Roundtable. And now members can enjoy a short little after show, usually 30 minutes, maybe a little bit more. After the show is over, you can hang out with me, Ginger, and Mike as a member on this channel. We're continuing to do more members-only content. Today on the episode, though, we're going to kick off things with Skull and Bones, talk about what we think about this game now that we're finally getting more in-depth look at what the game's content loop will entail and what you'll be doing in Skull and Bones. And Ginger's going to kind of get us caught up on New World. We watched just this week and sort of reacted to Asmongold checked out the update. And I wanted to know what he thought, because he's kind of the MMO guy. And then Halo Infinite will also be discussed today. Because I think they finally pushed out co-op campaign beta. Uh, I think. (laughs) Let's just label the whole thing a beta. Like, just label year one beta. Like, let's just do the Fortnite thing and say, yeah, "Yeah, it's still beta. You know, like, and then I feel better. Yeah. The only part of the game that successfully launched non-beta was the campaign. But I guess we would consider that kind of a beta since it didn't even have co-op. Uh, lastly, Ginger wants to talk about a gaming recession that he kind of feels like we're going through right now. A little bit of a dip, a little bit of a drought. We are definitely feeling that as a gaming news focused channel and other YouTubers are also commentating on the reality right now as we've kind of dipped into a drought, but let's kick things off with skull and bones. Sorry, I couldn't resist. (laughs) (laughs) So they, they finally reveal what this game is going to be about. And uh, a while ago, it seemed like there were articles saying, hey, this sounds a little bit more like Destiny. There's going to be like a central hub where you go and get missions and bounties and kind of go out and do your thing. But fundamentally, you are on the boat like the entire time. When you're off the boat, it's very rudimentary. Even when you're hunting things from the side of the boat, it's very basic, almost like a mini game, like stabbing, you know, different things. And so my contention has been that this game will be too narrow of an offering. That's my biggest concern. Sea of Thieves has I think really kind of cornered the pirate market to a certain degree and obviously the ship combat in that is very basic. It's not all that good. I've consistently said Sea of Thieves would have this huge boon of success if they would let you go play PvE but I always get disagreement on that and I point to Fortnite's no build as an example of you can do something that seems completely counter to the identity of your game and it can be a roaring success that you know no builds now a standard mode. So when I looked at Sea of Thieves, that was my initial thought uh, was, man, that, that looks like a great game. I can go be a pirate. And then I kind of looked at this game and thought they've only got about two thirds of what it is to be a pirate. I'm not going to be in sword fights. I'm not going to be shooting a gun or a pistol. I'm not going to be running around as a pirate. I'm not going to be digging up treasure and we got into a heated debate the one day about mm-hmm. what it is to be a pirate and, you know, a pirate versus an explorer. It was actually pretty hilarious. But 
What are your thoughts on this game with respect to primarily being the naval combat from Assassin's Creed Black Flag? That's sort of the bones of this game. And is that something that can work as a live service game ongoing? This is a full price game, by the way, and they are aiming to be live service. Yeah, if they are able to nail the live service, then I think as long as the core gameplay mechanic is fun, which I've heard nothing but good things about, uh, the obviously the ship combat from uh, Assassin's Creed. But again, they have to they have to absolutely nail that. And to kind of highlight that point, I was really surprised to actually see the Skull and Bones discussion pop up on your channel. That's actually what brought it back to me, where I thought, oh, I thought this game was already out, like. This was, I thought, announced right around the time of Sea of Thieves, if not just right after. And I was like, oh, cool. Everybody got the, I guess, the spreadsheet of we're going with pirates, you know, and like game development kind of has that, right? Same thing with movies where it's like, oh, everybody decided to make a zombie movie or a mummy movie. Like, it's like everybody kind of gets into these train of thoughts. So when I saw that pop back up, I was like, holy crap, that game actually isn't out. So being that they're targeting targeting it as a live service game, uh, I think they're going to struggle initially up against, obviously, Sea of Thieves, which has had years of refinement, years of content. And I would personally love to see like more PVE style, you know, mechanics brought in, you know, and in, into all of it. Like, right. But I've only played Sea of Thieves for just a little bit. It was something I kind of dabbled in, but people continue to invite me back into that. They're going to be stepping into a very mature game just like if somebody was going to launch a looter shooter today against destiny it's like oh wait you don't have crossplay cross save oh you don't have like deep you know all this content even though like destiny is giving people an an entry point by removing content out of the game so i think in terms of skull and bones if they can find a an impassionate uh you know community and continue to develop the game as a live service game um, it's going to do what all live service games traditionally do. It's going to come out. It should come out as a beta. We should. They should just slap that on to any live service game as an announcement. But I guess there's some legal ramifications that they can't sell you the game. I guess for money, they can't sell you a beta. Or maybe I don't. I don't mm. know what the law is. Why we can't just say, "Hey guys, it's a game as a service." That means for the pretty much for the first two years, the things that you think should be there the fact that like there's no real like hub city and like things are rudimentary like that could all get patched in down the road if they have the audience and so that actually makes me think whenever i start to hear things like that is that are they just gonna see if they can find an audience if they can't then they just like all right it's done it's off the books we're like okay the, the servers are the servers people are gonna play it until it shuts down or uh, you know, like that's where I kind of wonder it is that they're just sounds like they're just releasing an MVP, minimal viable product to players to see if there's any kind of hook that that is worth the, their future investment, because I'm assuming that this game has taken longer to develop than they originally planned due to the fact that I thought it was already out. <laughs> I'm glad you said that because I was thinking of that as I was talking. I was like, I wonder if they want to see, you know, not just proof of concept proof of community like will people get into this and play it and if they will we can do the land tow update later and we'll let people go on land and hunt and fight and and get out their swords and guns and then the land hoe update you know like they'll they'll name it something along that 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 line but go ahead yeah yeah that's what i mean like they that they would they would literally call it that because like we're gonna let you actually do stuff on the land instead of being so Instead of being landlocked, you're kind of shiplocked. It's like you're just kind of on the ship all the time, which I actually think is 
a unique concept. I think, you know, people like the ship combat. I think people will say, hey, I, I want to play a game like that because the level of upgrades and things mm-hmm. that you can do to the ship is actually pretty impressive. And I, I, I think there will be an audience that, that'll enjoy it. But I, I also think if that's what they're doing, okay, the full mm-hmm. price seems weird because that's this is a $40 game in my mind. I don't want to undercut the work and the hard effort that they put into this but when I look at a game that is purely 80% naval, probably 90% naval battle fighting PvP live service, I think yeah, that's a $40 game, not a 60 what might even be 70, $70 game, like what on earth that's going to be yeah. a huge barrier of entry for so many people, I, I could see it 40 folks being like I'm bored, there's not a lot to play right, right now I'll, I'll play a pirate game, I think this game launches like yeah. the day before Ragnarok Oh man, what an uh, what unfortunate timing! The you're 100 percent right, especially on forty dollars. I think forty dollars ends up being a really good buy to play entry model because I think it's easy to get forty hours out of especially any kind of live service game. Lord knows, I put hundreds and hundreds of hours into forty dollar games, uh, but sixty dollars, like again, I just I I'm, I'm not. This is not rooted in any kind of insider knowledge or anything like that. But sixty dollars or seventy dollars, etc it does feel like it's like, let's just see if we can try to recoup some of this money. And if a community shows up, then we can, we can decide if we want to invest in it further because like how many years ago I was trying to, I was trying to look that up, but I can't even remember how many years ago it was when it's announced. It feels like it was five years. I do not know if that is, that is correct. But once you start getting past the three year mark in game dev, it gets really, really hard to hold on to the talent that is originally making that game. So you can find a game that crosses the finish line in year five, six, seven, that is a, it's like a whole different team behind it. That's just trying to, just trying to get the damn thing out. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, it is what it is. And and because like, they want to get it done because they want to go move on to something else. And they're just like pretty stressed. Yeah. Six years. Chat saying six years Mm -hmm. like that. That's a, there's an HR problem there. There's a human resources problem there and games of the service games are hard they're hard to make they're hard to make and 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 they have to they take years to mature until they're ready honestly yeah somebody's asking if it's releasing on game pass i don't know i would imagine if they do they better be really thoughtful about their microtransactions because I, I, somebody is making a good point you know if people aren't on playstation they'll be kind of hungry for a game so this thing could be a huge hit if it's on Game Pass and there's microtransactions to look cool, like put on a cooler pirate hat or whatever, as long as it's not pay to win. I I can't see them doing that. I think the entire crux of the game is PvP. So if you start selling power, your your game's going to be dead pretty quickly, I would imagine. Uh, but in in my mind, this, is, this game's success would rise and fall on people caring a month later like they've got you've <laughs> got to have people that are going to come back if you've got some kind of a seasonal format if you've got something ongoing then they're going to have to have that reason to come back yeah. and that full price point is going to be a danger with god of war ragnarok landing the same week that entire audience isn't going to pay an atten- any attention to you for the most part i'm not going to act like the entire sony platform is going to turn their nose up to this but that's a very big platform to have very distracted that week and being like, yeah, skull and bones. I don't know, is man. It, is it cross play cross progression? I believe so. Cause it's a UB title. So you should be able to play cross play cross if progression. It, 
if it's that that's gonna be the point in its favor you can't launch a multiplayer game without that because people might check it out but then they're just gonna go back to where it's easy to play with their friends so if you do not have that from day one you don't have a game like you have you have a cash grab so that's a point in their favor the next point in their favor could be that it you know it's obviously a different audience that they're trying to attract and if the combat's good i saw uh hilly hijinks uh saying chat that it's like you have to have a good game to build a community i think you have to have a good gameplay i think good gameplay uh constitutes like i don't think you have to have a fully featured game and i think there's plenty of games that that prove that point but they prove it off of a good like a really good feeling a hook you get in you're like oh my goodness it feels good you burn out and then you when you come back you're like oh my god goodness it feels good to be back in this game if you have that element that's what i would constitute the good game even if it's not fully featured even if it's not fully fleshed out balance issues etc we live in the age of the internet i don't i think the population that that you know gets burned and does not return like forever like i think they're actually kind of they're, they're the minority out, out opposed to the silent majority who is like oh i'll, I'll show, yeah i already bought it I'll, I'll go check it out it's been two years oh my gosh it feels so good to be back so if if skull and bones can can nail that it feels so good to be back they're gonna have a really good time if they're just pvp only focused then automatically you're just taking a huge chunk of the gaming population and cutting it uh you know i don't know by some percentage right because it said if you don't have an offering for more then you're you're really appealing to a niche audience in the first place and maybe that's a good way to start as a games as a service you're like listen this is all we're going to be right now and then if it if it people like it then we'll we'll continue to develop it but even if people say it's been work since 2013 like even if they've had this long development cycle it could be just a game they're trying to get off their books they're just like let's get it out there it is as done as, as we're going to invest in on it and we're going to see if it if it lands and if it doesn't then we've made some money back and if it does land then great we've got a new we've got a new game as a service game yeah i i wonder if there's because i've had this conversation with people before and i wonder if there's a way forward for games of service where i've said a lot of these games are struggling because they're trying to do something that doesn't necessarily work without the organic feedback like you can't you can't really necessarily know what your community is going to want until you have a community and i think we've seen that with so many games whether it's division one division two final fantasy destiny diablo three these no man's sky where the community's feedback and commitment and and playing it's it's like a symbiotic relationship of you know, like in the movie where they're they're making the claymation, you know, in Ghost, and he comes behind. <laughs> Not that we want to make it like that scene, but it's like you got to work together to shape this thing. And yeah. I wonder if with games as service or live service games, they need to start using some type of a, of a phrasing or something where this is phase one. Like phase one is ground level. You got to kind of help us with shaping the game the expectations content rhythm or whatever like we're going to deliver you a game that's worthy of your time but we're also accepting the fact that like we don't necessarily know what you're going to want long term until you guys kind of sink your teeth into it and Mm -hmm. i just don't know how you market something like that without it sounding like you want the community to do your work for you because the optics on that's clearly going to sound like you want us to pay to be beta testers like who's going to do that i mean that was the ongoing joke with destiny was it was the world's longest running beta and Mm -hmm. 
you I don't think you want to just flat out come out and say that but I wonder if there is a way forward for live service games to just be pretty transparent and say listen this is phase one and you're a huge part the, of that yeah the best way to do that though is legitimately launch to a selective market and that could be a regional based market look at uh, Lost Ark as a great example launched in Korea it did not do well out of the gate it struggled they had to do patches and updates and there was a point in time where the population was dropping so rapidly they were doing server mergers etc etc it's a time old classic tale of games as a service game and i want to also address what all wheezy's bringing up here because that could really reaffirm that this game is uh you know going to be in trouble but that being said is that it developed a fan base they listened and communicated and they worked and i think that's a key aspect to games as a service a lot of people want, you know, we had, you know, with when 30 is still here, when Mike's still here, like, uh, you know, make a game, sell a game, you know, et cetera. That market is long and gone. Like, you know, I, I, I get that there's a nostalgic view for that, but I know that Bungie got bought for $3.6 billion for a reason, right? Like there is a serious mindset of, of games and the reality of where we are today. And so when you look at that, when you look at how it launched it, like Lost Ark launching in Korea, building up that fan base, really kind of listening and communicating. It's not just about the core game. It's about the communication that happens and then the consistency and updates. Uh, Chris, uh, my buddy that worked a game, uh, he released over on his channel, Gaming Kinda, why Final Fantasy XIV, what it does that no other game does. And when you go look at it, when you just break down, when you remove all the emotion, because games have good stories, games have good gameplay, like it's not just Final Fantasy, but what makes Final Fantasy XIV different? It's so consistent that you could, you know, the content creators around it can be like, well, yeah, this is what's going to happen. Well, how do you know that? Because uh, this is what always happens. But it gives you that that feedback cycle of, hey, we're listening. Hey, here's the content. And so it happens so consistently, you set you can set a clock to it. In fact, that's what he did. He broke it down all in a spreadsheet. And outside of the COVID uh, delay that hit everybody, they were the only ones still making content for a game as a service game, even it, with the COVID delay. Like they were like, yeah, we've already like we're already a well-oiled machine. We're just adjusting to not being in person all the time. Right. And so I think essentially, like if if they were really wanting it to be successful, like I think if you really want to launch, you launch into a select market. You let that kind of get the feedback and that communication you let the hype and excitement from people who are just looking on the inside like oh man this looks great oh they made this change and all of a sudden you're able to bring it to the global world with years of like testing actually being done on a in a real case but chances are that's not going to happen and now wheezy was saying that they're contractually set to release by a date they took money uh you know grants and stuff like that so that is essentially kind of forcing their hand to get this game out which to me i tell you that means that, that that's a bad recipe it's a mm -hmm. it's a bad recipe it took this long if they're being told that they have to release this game then it is going to be what it is and the question is is that is ubisoft the kind of publisher who's going to say here's our brand new ip oh it didn't work out we're gonna you know or, or i just kind of starts to feel like a little bit like ea and anthem and i and i still submit that if ea like continued to invest in anthem and did the 2.0 etc they would actually have a games as a service game today that would be worth your time and be interesting and people would would give it a second chance um but obviously we know that they did not take that that route being that it was still one of the most popular games and one of the most profitable games for them the year that it released yeah yeah just just for clarification wheezy is saying here that for those that don't know skull and bones mm -hmm has to release because of the grants Ubisoft took from the Singapore government. They have to release Skull and Bones by 2023. I don't remember the exact date. I 
I have a, a sneaking suspicion there's another wave of game delays coming. I think a lot yeah. of these games that are landing in November, December are just going to get shoved to next year. Because as soon as you're on that back half of November, unless you're really confident your holiday sales will be great, because you know you've you've got the marketing and maybe the the the, the platform and the presence to really capitalize on that, I, I just see a lot of games getting shoved into next year. And Skull and Bones is, is one of the ones I'm just kind of waiting for. Like, when are you guys going to let us know yeah. that this is not landing? Which would be weird, because they just released the trailer and just officially said, oh yeah, November the 8th is the planned release date. I, I'm, I'm seeing things on Google. There, There's murmurings that it's going to get bumped to March of next year. Uh, for, for Spoken, for Spoken, funny enough, just yeah, delayed. We about that last time. <laughs> well, they delayed. I said I kept telling people I was like, my gut tells me this game's getting delayed. I said I can't tell you why. I just feel like it's going to get delayed. And their announcement of the delay was so interesting because they were like, we discussed with our strategic partners and decided to delay the game. And then they said in the next paragraph, the game's basically done. They're essentially avoiding fourth quarter of 2022 for strategic reasons, not for developmental reasons. Mm-hmm. So, I think it makes sense, especially when you see like what game would be the most competitive against it in God of War. Mm-hmm. Uh, God of War is a is an established game built off of the previous one. Lots of lots of love, lots of respect for that, uh, for, especially for the for the last game to launch in the series. And you're going to launch a brand new IP um, that might appeal very connected, you know, story driven, you know, action RPG ish. You know, like yeah, maybe maybe you let God of War go ahead and just take that you know you're like yeah we're good and then you go into a month with less competition and outside of this year that 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 was a perfect perfect strategy this year it seems like everybody did that play and we had uh we had just everything drop in february but <laughs> yeah well we're <laughs> we're gonna have a similar first quarter next year it's feeling like they, they, they did a lot of games are gonna start landing there and we we've continually looked at that idea like there's other games in the market that sort of might make people consider oh we should do this or we should do that you know we kind of saw the exodus from wow and the final fantasy and that seemed to kind of impact wow and in the mmo space we've been kind of debating ashes of creation and the pvp all the time and the other game in that space that continue seems to be trying to kind of crawl back up out of where it landed with with player base numbers is new world and we we looked at it this week and i said this looks great for committed players this obviously is not the comeback moment. Hey, everybody come back and play. You know, Asmongold was saying he thinks they should put everybody on the same server. I I said that was a terrible take given the number of people still playing. That really wouldn't work fundamentally because there's I mean, like thir- you couldn't, 13,000. Well, that's 13,000 concurrent, which translates to roughly around 250,000 monthly active users when you factor in like just the, the amount of time that's actually being played and the average amount of game time. Uh, so yeah, like 250,000 players would not at the moment fit on an, an existing server. Uh, but New World always kind of had a plan to grow the server infrastructure to where like there could be like, around 10,000 players active on a, a given server at any one point in time uh, with the goal of that, obviously that we have zone expansion. And that's actually what is what is coming this week alone on the PTR. We actually got to look at the new zones map. Uh, we already knew the new zone was coming this fall. So things are continuing to progress uh, in that way, I think a lot of uh, people uh, harp on uh, the concurrent user number, and you trying to use that as a as either a justification for not playing the game or trying to keep people from actually playing the game. To which it doesn't 
that doesn't make a lot of sense to me, especially if you're a fan of MMOs. And it, to me, I'm like, the, if it's got the population and plenty of a population to support the game, then then we're then you're good. Like Amazon has committed to ten years. Whether they do or don't is all a function of trust. What is that, what Amazon is building right now is trust or, or or not trust. And I think from their communication, from consistent schedule of updates, New World is perhaps the best MMORPG that people think are dead right now. And I hopefully will get you back in into playing it at some point because like what they're doing is truly exciting. Like to be able to to listen and to develop and to have that hook, that really good gameplay, the really immersive world, like the things that people say about it is they, they're like, oh man, this is really interesting. Oh, the thing I didn't like was perhaps this bug or the thing I would like more of is more content. And those two things, the bugs have been fixed and the content is on the way. The question is, is will Amazon continue to develop it? And I think that's actually one of the things that keeps the game numbers kind of where they are because people constantly come to me and they're like, hey, is it safe? Can I, I mean, like if I jump in, like, are they going to shut down the servers tomorrow? Because I keep hearing from online sources that there's not enough players playing the game. Well, I think that model is rooted in the 90s and the early 2000s and even like even the early teens of this gener- uh, of this decade, but there's no subscription. Like it's a buy to play game and they're working on making it better and they are delivering on that promise. And I think essentially like New World is worth people's time. Whether they like think like, is the July update like the big like marketing push update where all of a sudden you're like, have you heard of New World? It's perfect. It's got everything you possibly want. No, that's not July update. I don't even know if that's the one year update. Um, mm-hmm. But they are adding in so many systems and, and content that it is personally exciting for a, a player. And the reason I would advocate that this is a great time to start is that it has a player-driven economy. You playing the game and earning money and figuring out what you like to like to do will benefit you in a year and in five years and in, and in 10 years. And it's one of the things that continues to drive value through whatever activity you're doing rather than having everything so copy and paste from the game that you hate and you already quit. You know, and so I see a lot of people advocating that they want New World to be Final Fantasy fourteen or even World of Warcraft. And then those same people I've seen, you know, argue and complain about the game that they want New World to copy. I think there are there are avenues for inspiration, but absolutely I think New World has something unique and something that they I think they like I said, they have magic. It's all about refining that and then ideally getting to a getting into a consistent content delivery cycle. So if we end up getting like a new dungeon every, you know, every quarter. I think that's that's something that would be very valuable, but they need to kind of flesh out their offerings uh, in terms of you know you know more more product within the uh, within the game and the systems to help appeal to a wider range of players. I have three takes on this game. I, I want to see what you think about this. All right, so all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna walk through each one. The first one is one that I said the other day when we were watching their recent update, and I was listening to what you know Asmund Gold had to say. And something that I said was, if they really want to have their comeback moment and really turn this thing around, really boost up those player numbers, they're going to need something that's a little bit different than new player acquisition or like new player Mm -hmm. onboarding. They're going to need returning player onboarding. I need to know if I'm coming back, what in the world you have done? Why is it so much better? What's the process? Because if not, my concern is, you'd be drinking from a fire hose and you wouldn't be able to go enjoy the new areas, the new the new dungeons, the new weapons, the new anything because you'd say, I, 
This game is completely and utterly different. Everything's changed now. What's expertise? What's this? What's a gypsum? What's a... Yeah. What are all these weird things now that I can do? So I firmly believe that they would... That that would be almost a necessity. There's almost an imperative on them to say, listen, if you're going to come back, we are going to have some funnel, some onboarding process to acclimate you to what is essentially New World, you know, 1.5 or 2.0, wherever they feel like the game has come... What do you think about that, and how would they go about doing that? Because I do think this game has such potential. It's so fun and good to be in it. What do you think about that? The game is a mountain of potential. You you absolutely have that correct. I personally think that the best way about the inviting players back in from a returning player perspective is an announcement of an expansion. Uh, I've seen this time and time again. You're seeing this happen right now with WoW Dragonflight, even for the big dogs is that a wow an expansion model an expansion announcement serves a couple things it's a trust building mechanism and saying hey we're we're committed like we are going to have this and it's going to be a big content drop so psychologically a lot of players especially who've already bought in somebody was saying like new world needs to go free i was like it's sold anywhere from 15 to 25 million units if for for that 15 to 25 million players it's already free there's no sub, like there's no financial barrier for a lot of people to go and check out the game and its updates, but an expansion ends up saying, oh my gosh, like what's happening? To your point, I think if they logged in and there was a little screen like, hey, check out, you know, this, have you done this? Have you done that? To some degree, they do that. So if you logged in with the 1.5 update, you said, hey, there's the new blunderbuss and here's the new expedition. Like it does do a little bit of that, but I think essentially if they could tailor it to you, the individual, that'd be really, that'd actually be more important. Oh, we see you haven't logged in in over a year. Last time you logged in, the watermark system was this. But now we have what's called the expertise system. And here's the three things that you need to know so you can get started in it today. You know, so you're a thousand percent right. But the other side of it ends up being marketing, marketing, marketing. And that's the, like if they announce an expansion, you'll actually, I think, see on that day, the concurrent numbers go up because people will be like, oh, wait, they're committed. They're, They're committed to the game. And I think that I would say that if they ever announce that they do, like, who knows if they're doing an expansion model or not? We, we really know nothing at this point. But if they do announce an expansion, I would announce the second expansion. Hey, guys, you know, this spring, we're, we're, we're releasing our first expansion. And you know what? Next spring, we're going to release our second expansion. So anybody's like, holy, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. they are not just giving me one. Like, I'm going to get back in now so I can grind. I can make coin. I can see what's all changed. And I can be ready for all the new content that drops when the expansion would drop. And so that's essentially what you see. Like Final Fantasy 14's biggest numbers happen right before the expansion. Like five months before whatever their expansion is, that's where their numbers are the biggest. They 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 maintain through the expansion a little bit and then they drop off. A lot of people were making and, and try to use like 95%, 90% player retention drop in New World. Um, from the Steam charts as some kind of like, oh, the game's dead. Oh, the game's dying. 14 had the same drop, like after Endwalker. In fact, Endwalker was its biggest concurrency drop ever. You know why it doesn't matter? Because we trust that Square Enix is going to make 7.0. And we actually know that that's how people play play games. Mm -hmm. They play games in a seasonal hype cycle. The question is, is that how do you refine the game for the core audience that goes from, you know, big update to big update? And that's a matter of, time there's nothing that is going to infuse a new developer with that level of trust the only the only people who have that are people who are making games in the 80s and the 90s you know all of a sudden it's like oh yeah i know this franchise i know this developer 
I trust that they're going to be around, right? Bungie had that throughout, you know, Destiny 1.0's longest beta. Like, all the memes and people just, like, dunking on the game. Like, why is this game so popular? You know, it's it's got a 7.0. Like, it's the best 7.0 game everybody's playing. And then Taken King came out, and all of a sudden, it was like, holy crap. It's, you know, they, they figured it out, you know, et cetera. That's just my take on it. <laughs> okay, well that 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 take was I think that's that's an easy one to agree yeah. with, right? Onboarding, Victor's got a good idea, maybe like an optional returning tutorial. I think that's pretty good. Oh too. yeah, that'd be smart. That'd be smart. Right. This takes a little bit more of a hot take. This take there are people that don't agree with me on this, but it's my belief that they have proven themselves to be far better at creating PvE content than PvP. That's what I believe. I think the dungeons, I guess they call them expeditions. They don't like when you call them dungeons. Okay, I call ex- them dungeons. Yeah. Yeah, they're dungeons. <laughs> it's, quit. Yeah. it's like it's like game companies that don't call it XP. It's like, just call it XP. Like, what, what is this? So they're, I believe their dungeons are surprisingly excellent for a game that was going to be more focused on PvP. It was like, oh, it's yeah. all PvP all the time, and they changed their mind about that. I, I have similar yeah. concerns about Ashes of Creation because they're going down that same road. Is PvP is available all the time. Okay, good luck. Yep. Uh, but if in it this- lands, if it lands, it's the exception of the rule, and I want it to land because I want to have that data point. But all all data points point to that is just what people say, but how they actually go about it, it mm-hmm. ends up being completely different. Yeah. I've heard like there's like 10 people in the world that like, yes, that's what they want. And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, but that's not sustainable for the money. Like mm-hmm. unless those are 10, you know, like the 10 billionaires of the world who are willing to fund this, you know, you're going to see this more into that, that PVP. Please go ahead because I definitely know I like where you're going. So it's my belief that they have proven themselves to be far better. It's like they stumbled upon realizing, oh, wow, we're much better at PVE than PvP because their expeditions are excellent. Asmongold had very high praise for their excellent. dungeon design. He did. He said this is one of the best dungeons I've played. And I mean this is this is this is the MMO guy. This is the World of Warcraft guy yeah. saying that their dungeons are excellent. I I'm think gonna pause you. I'm gonna pause you. Just hold your thought. And then yeah, they limit people from actually doing them. Now that's going away. Yes. But yeah, but go ahead. Like cause you're like so excellent. Hey, are you doing them? No. Why? Because it's such a pain to do them. Now yes. that's going away. Now that's like they're removing that level of friction. And I think that will shine. Continue, sir. I'm going to put two feathers in my own cap. I know people hate when I do this, but when I first started playing New World, I said two things about the dungeons that they have miraculously agreed with me on. I said, first and foremost, these are great. Why do they get left behind? Why can't I go play a hard version once I'm at level cap? They're wonderful pieces of content, and the gear in them is immediately irrelevant. What a complete and utter waste of capital. Ho ho! They ended up agreeing with me. They did that to all of the dungeons to maintain that relevancy, which is pretty smart given the amount of work you probably put into designing them. And then the second thing I said... Why are you making me go do stuff like make a key to go run the dungeon? Just let me run the dungeon. Now, they are capping it, but they're capping it to a degree that I think is reasonable. Some people are saying the mutator cap is a little too low. Well, I push yeah, back and say it's probably better to start low. They can increase it later. It's better to do that than to have to walk it back. 
So well, the you, risk also is that you end up making it too high and people feel like, oh, God, and it stresses them out. Like, they're like, oh, my gosh, I have to be running mutators 20 a day so that way I can fully take advantage of, of them, right? Like, there's a psychology within the gamers that is at risk. But, yeah, it's, I, I, I agree. Start low and then see, like, oh, it turns out people really like them. Hey, guys, we're going to give you five more. Yeah, you we know, can raise whatever the cap. Right. Yeah. Always better to give people a little bit more on the cap than to have to walk it back. To be like, oh, gosh, it's too high. So, I, I'm two for two on dungeons. I want to go three for three. I want to say, ditch this PvP nonsense. Focus on dungeons. Focus on a repeatable gameplay content loop and a seasonal content loop where you can continue to add dungeons and expeditions, areas of the map. Maybe even go back. This mutator thing is always a great way to repurpose these old dungeons. Hey, we launched a whole new suite of mutators to celebrate our two-year anniversary Every dungeon's completely different now, completely different reward systems. Like that's just such a great way to do that. I mean, one of the one of the greatest eras of Destiny One was when they went back and did that with all of the raids. It was like a hey, <laughs> let's go run a victory lap, and now there's all these new rewards and challenges. Like, do that and mm-hmm. and quit piddling around in in the mud with PvP. That's one of I believe the territory control and PvP is one of the primary things that drove people away from this game. What was the other thing? The end game's not fleshed out and designed well. You, I, I feel like you would fix this thing from both ends if you just delved deep and said, we're just going to dig down and do our core competencies. We're good at expeditions. Let's do that. I think that would make this game's quality rise in like just significantly and give them an ongoing model that would be more sustainable than what they have now it's an interesting question because i i'm one who actually does enjoy the pvp uh side of the game but in terms of balance and combat everything right now meta is dodge and you know like it's if you if you don't get hit then you don't take damage so everything is dodge 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 now they said that coming in the august ptr they're going to be looking at improving the block and improving the different you know armor sets because right now it's like you get light armor and you just roll as much as you can so that way you don't you don't get hit and that's how you win in pvp and a lot of people are like i don't like that meta i want to be a heavy or medium build and blocking is com- like i that's why i was like i was like why am i dying all the time and it's like oh you're blocking everybody else is rolling and i was like okay that makes sense but thankfully they're somewhat addressing that I think they've addressed part of it with the both the OPR and the uh, the PvP arenas, but what they absolutely have to get is cross-server because a lot of people might, like you said, like not really be interested in the territory. So we see people who actively look for small servers to go and enjoy their experience on. But then, yeah, if you occasionally want to dip into OPR or into PvP, you're cut off because it's server-based. But the devs also said that that's coming. Cross-server matchmaking uh, is, is on a way. We don't have an ETA on that. So that should help address it. Um, But I do agree with you that I think the bread and butter ends up being PvE. I think their dungeons are so beautiful and so well-designed. And then when you bring in the mutator system, it adds in a whole other level of challenge, which is great. But it is hard content, which will bring out toxicity, just like PvP will bring out toxicity. So people will, will leave because they'll get frustrated regardless because the content all of a sudden becomes challenging and... I, I don't think that you want to go and, and cut PvP from this game, but I think essentially, to your point, I think you want to invest in the, what people are really wanting to do. Like when you go look, I, I'm really curious to see with these, when with uh, with the daily, like with the limiters and things like that. Am I hitting my limit? Like, am I all of a sudden running into that where before it is it ends up being just something that I would occasionally do and never really was a driving factor. 
but uh, I think essentially, I wonder if that's they're going to get that kind of feedback, and all of a sudden, yeah, we, we they get PvP to a kind of a like that's the game, that's the PvP content we have. We're not going to develop new PvP modes because we're going to be spending that those resources on bringing in dungeons. And then I would assume what a lot of people are hoping for at some point, maybe along the line, if they go with an expansion, a raid, because a raid ends up being something that is a as a big draw point. The question is, is that what would a raid be in New World? that a dungeon currently isn't and the dungeon is capped at five people like do you go and say a raid is 10 people or or is it gonna be you know like is it fun you know foundationally like structured in a, in a different way i don't know but i i, I like it i I, know, I do know that you're right though there are people who have left because they've lost a war and they lost that territory and you know like i i don't know how you fix that without like essentially completely changing uh, and getting rid of the faction-based territory control and making it more company-based, but I don't know. I, I kind of like that as a sandbox thing that's always changing. Every server's different. There's, you know, but there has been the issue of maybe they don't quit, but maybe you see people like ma- navigate different to different servers, and a lot of people have complained about that, that there's a lot of server hopping because, you know, and so then things are constantly in flux. It's a, it's a thing I enjoy. I, maybe it's something that's just not working out. That's my last take. My last, I, I, like I said, I had three takes. My last take is they should consider, they could do it experimental. It could be a pretty big announcement, maybe get a ton mm-hmm. of people to come back. They could consider saying, we are going to have PVE servers and just see oh, what yeah. the response is. Just see or what even, the response is. Even also just saying in that same vein, like, hey, we're going to have one PVP server. Because a lot of people say, like, that's what they want Mm-hmm. all right here we we made it for you and it's like and then if it's like oh man nobody's on that server ever like it ends up being where I, it's i i see the same kind of thing with content create like people who are like new content creators they're like oh you guys say you'll watch me for any game you know and then only like one tenth of you show up it's like yeah like that of course that's how it works right like what people say and how they actually then respond the data is is, is a beautiful thing like when you mm-hmm. go look at the data it's like okay, people talk. That's what they do. But here's how they act, mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's usually not in lines with what they say, especially online. Yeah, I, I've I've thought that the PvP people would like m- people like me to not be on their server because, like, I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to do anything for you. You don't you don't want me in your company. You don't want me in your clan. Like, I'm not going to do any of that. And you know. They already did that. Every server is PvP, and the numbers fell off a cliff. I agree with that's Lono. Not true. The PvP I, has always, since launch, been an optional flag that you you to, you choose to opt in if you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've they've not forced it. I'm not sure what he's saying though. He's saying push out a PVE server. Oh, every server is PvP. I think what he means is like PvP is influencing the server maybe because the territory control oh, yeah. is almost primarily influenced by the PvP. But that, doesn't, that doesn't affect you if you're a PvE player. Like it's like the the impact is is just more bragging rights. Like okay, I can I can teleport into that zone for three, you know, three I mean, three is off cheaper. It's like okay. I feel like I feel like some of the companies got really cannibalistic though and would jack up the taxes like Victor's talking about. Like they would get oh, yeah, majority yeah, yeah. control and then it would just be like really unpleasant to play. It's like well, why am I even going to yes. do this? Yeah. I totally see where you're going with that, and I totally agree. The uh, thankfully, the devs have talked about; they haven't revealed their plan for addressing it. But that's one of the big core complaints: is these shell companies is that they essentially just yeah, like okay, it gets to where you don't have real competition. It's all like 
it, it is a monopoly, even though it's not, a, you know, it, you can't clearly see the monopoly, you know, right on the surface. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want the people that want to play that way to be able to play that way. But I, th- yeah. I, I think there's enough evidence to say there's a ton of people that don't. And I, I, I'm always going to go back to the no build thing with Fortnite. They threw it out as a test, as a temporary thing. The response was so positive that Epic said, no build is now a permanent mode. And when I played it that night with the guys from stream, I mean, it was, it was such, so much fun. I got a constant stream of people saying, I- I've come back to Fortnite for the first time in years. Mm-hmm. I have to think same thing for new world i make the same argument for sea of thieves i'm like just let people do that if they want to what what difference does it make especially if the largest percentage of people that would be doing it would likely be returning players you're not going to suddenly siphon off all your pvp people to be like i'm suddenly a pacifist like i'm gonna go and you know on these pve only servers so I, i i think i think that would be would be good for the game i think features you know options are huge and Speaking of features and options, <laughs> Halo Infinite <laughs> is yeah. just really struggling with their own features and their own player options. So for those that maybe are unaware, Halo Infinite launched without co-op for the campaign. Now, Halo 5 launched without split screen, but they still allowed you to do co-op, Like, but you couldn't split screen. There were things they did with the graphics. It was too intensive for the console at the time to run split screen i get that you know it's rendering everything twice but infinite launches with absolutely no co-op as well as other features like forge that was a little bewildering for members of the fan base there are others who act like this is no big deal that's totally additive i personally with as much respect as i can muster i believe those people are in denial i think forge and co-op are just woven into the dna of halo and launching without that was noticeably, I think, of a, a, a lack or a vacancy. It was like, what is going on here? Well, this week, the co-op campaign beta was supposed to hit on Tuesday, and then it didn't. I'm, I guess it hit today, so yay, they hit their week. And it became a bit of a squabble where people were like, well, they... I had people scolding me for my coverage. They said they never said it was going to be that day. It was going to be this week. It's like, no, they said that was the date they were going for. And obviously, their flights don't have the greatest track record right now. Because their flights, their betas, their testing stuff. So, Mm. where do you land on Halo? Because, man, oh, man, even this morning we were talking God of War Ragnarok. And people were trying to kind of brag on Halo's sales records. And I'm like, I wouldn't trot out Halo right now at all if you're trying to brag about, you know, victories for Microsoft. It's just, it's in a really bad spot. And I have another aspect of this I want to talk to you about as well. It has to do with Microsoft's influence over the game. My mind Mm -hmm. changed on this, but before we get to that, where do you land on the lack of the features, the Forge, the co-op, and how that's all coming to fruition? It's it's honestly hurting the game uh, in a lot of ways. Like it, it literally is is. If you ever think about uh, like trust or love as kind of a bank withdrawal, like you deposit and you withdraw. And Halo this entire year has just been withdrawing. After and and some people would argue they've been withdrawing since Halo Four. Like they really haven't been doing a lot of depositing in terms of like the the excitement and the joy. It's all been just kind of like okay, just to stick with us a little bit longer. Um, so those features, I heard it. Now, I absolutely love Halo. I, I actually play a lot of Halo Infinite, despite it getting frustrated. I think its core progression system is absolute garbage. 
Um, but like when it comes down to it and, and looking at the season, I was like, this is going to be a very dramatic season because it's so freaking long. I really liked the new mode. I liked the two new maps. Like it's like at its core, like if they were dropping that at a 90 day clip, then essentially you have a month to be excited. You have a month to be frustrated. And then you have a month to do the content or like you basically have a month to be excited, a month to do the content, a month to be mad, and then a month to be excited. And it, like it has that natural evolution that I think these games as a service games end up kind of falling into. Like you don't have that long to be mad because all of a sudden we're going to start talking about what's coming next that kind of will, you know, fix that that core problem. But I think for like imagine like this year, this what I what I call a beta, like year one beta for the game, if they had Forge, all of a sudden there's no lack of maps like at its core, maybe within the playlists, you play those, they're, they're curated maps, but then all of a sudden your friends group and all that, you can, you're making maps, you're bringing back the classic maps. And honestly, I would say if I, if, you know, if I was in the developer driving spot, that's where like, maybe you start to team up with your community and say, Hey, you built that map. Let's go ahead and bring that in. You know, we're going to go ahead and, and go mm -hmm. over it, make sure that it's not going to break the game when we release it to everybody. But then all of a sudden, like you're, you're crowdsourcing a lot of uh, fixing a lot of the core <laughs> crowdsource problems. I haven't played the campaign. I said, Hey, Oh, great. And then they said campaign uh, multiplayer coming later. I go, great. That's when I'll play it. So the fact that this is kind of getting delayed, the fact that we're still waiting for that means that I haven't experienced what people said was really good. People have said that mm -hmm. the campaign is really good, that it's a lot of fun that, you know, like they really did a great job with it. I don't know. I'm, I'm still waiting. I'm, I, I was promised, I was promised split screen with Halo 5. They said that we're not going to do that again, but then they took out, they went even further with no multiplayer in the campaign. So I'm just not, I was like, I'm just going to wait. Mm -hmm. Like you guys are telling me that I need to wait. And so I will, I'm not going to get mad. I'm just going to wait. And then I'm going to, and then you're going to deliver because I waited. And then it's like, okay, yeah, they said it's coming. Now it's coming as a part of like mid season, some August. And then essentially the next season kicks off in November, which I hope that the next season is firing in all cylinders. Imagine they come out and say it's a, it's a, it's a three month season. I love how they do the battle pass. I love that I buy a battle pass and I keep it. I haven't finished season one. I'm almost done with season two. So once I'm done with season two, I can hop back on season one and I can finish it off at my leisure. Or if I don't feel like it, I can wait. I'm not pressured to log in and play. And I love that. I adore that. I think they got that part right. They've broke progression. They don't have the content cycle down. They got to tighten that up. They got to tighten that up. And when you're talking about 343 and Microsoft and the money they command, what the hell's the problem? Right. That's like, that's, they don't, they don't have problems with servers. They don't have problems with pockets. They can bring the team on. They can pay the team well. Why is it taking so long to get these things done? And I think essentially this was that an HR problem, just like we saw, we we're talking about with Skull and Bones earlier. They're, like they've had so much changeover, they have to re they have to reorganize. They got to fix whatever is broken, and it's not unfortunately the, like to get to the fixing the game and adding the content. They got to fix the human problem and what's causing all these bottlenecks. I love that you took it there because that's where I'm going. This Ooh, is Microsoft I didn't even know that. This is Microsoft's fault. I blame I blame after this week after after looking into it more and really thinking about it. 
This game is at Microsoft's doorstep. This is their fault. Their policy about contractual workers not being able to exceed 18 months and the report from Schreier that about 50%, an estimate of 50% of the staff that worked on this game was on a contract. A rotating door of 18 months. The attrition of employees was so high. That is why this game is in the state that it's in. So you want to talk about why is it like this and why can't it get any better? Because... They're not. There's no way they're properly staffed. If those if those estimates are even close to being true, this is Microsoft's fault. I blame them. They have the mm-hmm. money. They they could change that policy. They could let contractual workers stay on longer. They could they could assist three four three to level out. They could say, listen, you have so many contractual workers. We're actually going to allow them to stay on for a longer period of time. We're going to write in some extended clauses or something. That's the only way this game gets where it's supposed make to go. If subsidiary. not, like make a subsidiary company that's like literally just hiring them up. If it's some kind of weird, uh, you know, laws, right? You're like, okay, here in California or here in Redmond or here in whatever, like we have to do these certain things. Like make a subsidiary based in Texas where it's like, great, y'all are all actually working for this company in Texas and we're contracting with ourselves. We just haven't owned both. You know, we just, you know, well, we're just going to put our people there. Like, there's ways about it like and and then if it was if my, if it was some third party studio i get it you got to make you got to make hard calls right you, there's not unlimited resources but unless you're microsoft google amazon like you literally i think you have more money than than you could ever spend in, in a lifetime i don't i don't see the risk yeah some people argue that the contract that microsoft has has in place it's been in place for a very long time actually it's it's company wide this is not just with their gaming division they right. keep people on those eighteen month contracts because they they don't have to pay them benefits uh I, I guess it protects them there was some kind of a legal thing that happened with Microsoft in late nineties maybe they got sued and then they basically said, okay well fine contract workers are never going to exceed eighteen months and that's been their policy ever since and yeah. I know people don't like the whole, well, let's blame Microsoft, let's blame whoever. But the more I looked at this, the more I thought 343 has been set up to fail. If, if these things are to be believed, if the people at the company that spoke with Jason Schreier are, are telling the truth, this game will never, ever rise above mediocre because you have a company that is completely and utterly hamstrung by a Microsoft policy and they will never have that consistency of team, of vision transfer. As soon as people get to the point, like I, we talked about this, think about the morale and the mentality of any of those employees. Once they're down to their final three to six months, they're probably starting to look for another job. How invested are they in Why the would game? you not? Right. Why would you not? Like, wait a minute. Like, because a part of, especially within development and especially with the turnover within game development, I've hired a, a bunch of programmers out of Gearbox for that very reason. You know, and it's like, yeah, we're, we're just looking for some level of non-crazy. <laughs> it's like, and anybody's like, oh, this game developer, et cetera. Like, listen, they're just paid well enough that they're just not going to risk it, right? Like, when it comes down to it, like, work, the way the internet, the internet perceives the way that the world works is just humorous to me. I'm like, I've never sat in a boardroom and not been offended. You know, it's like, that's just, that's just how I've existed my whole life is like, all right, but you get down, you got to get, you got, you got to figure out and you go from there. Um, yeah. I, I think if you were sitting here in an 18 month contract at 12 months, you're, you're absolutely setting up the next thing unless you're freaking rich. And I guarantee you, you're making less money by working in game dev 
than you would be working in any other any other space. So yeah, you're you're absolutely going like I'm here to to log, you know, whatever I need to log, and then I'm I'm already setting this up and I'm going to start my next contract. Or you're going to just cut the contract soon anyway, and you're just going to find a job that's better suited for you and whatever your life goals are. Right? Having no upward momentum at that is is crushing because you're like, oh, I love doing this. I guess I'm going to go do something else now. You know, like, and then that's, that's a policy that's, 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 that's killing three, four, three. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I always feel for the devs. Like I, I always, I always feel for the devs because it's like, they're, I, I, it's hard for me to believe that like company wide, some company is happy with a game being mismanaged or not launching in a good state or having all these problems. Like that's not something that they want to do. They don't want to be in that, that stressful environment and so I can't imagine being a full-time employee like if if 50% of the employees Mm. are actually hired and the other are contractual I can't imagine being the people that are constantly there that that just see the nature of that insidious contract policy creating constant attrition which is constantly hurting quality it's it's hurting team cohesion it's hurting morale it's hurting the quality of the products that they're working on uh, it's to me the 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 center blame is on that policy. I blame that. Like that's the the that's that's the eye of the storm. That's at the center of all of it. Everything else is spiraling around that. And if they would ele- enable, because Mo is saying three four three is hiring more. I, I would need to see some actual concrete reporting on if that's true or not. If three four three is being empowered and put into a position to hire more and to move away from these 18 month contracts then that would be great that could put this game on a trajectory of improvement and getting better and and ownership we want the devs to really own the game and say we really want this thing to improve instead of feeling like they're just spinning their wheels mm, exactly and then once that all gets whatever that situation sorted if halo was sitting out and putting out content every three months uh, i mean even if it's just still two maps right you then bring in the forge and then you let the players you know, go nuts and have fun and, and, and basically cover the gap for what you and your team are doing. All right. Like if you're not having fun with Halo, like that's fine. That's fine. You know, there'll be an update here in, in, you know, three months. Maybe you'll, maybe they'll have something for you then. And so you're constantly getting that news cycle. You're constantly getting that marketing hype. You're giving the players what, you know, something they want. I think though also the fact they launched without a battle Royale is one of the, one of the things is also still hurting them. Because as much as people will come to me and, and defend me, defend Arena and tell me I'm wrong, like people aren't watching Arena. It's not something that is as draw, you know, as bringing in that visual audience, which then content gets made around that. And so people are being constantly drip fed in their feed something about some game with a battle royale, whether it's good or bad news. And just having that constant ding and reminder ends up being, you know, like, oh, Everything that you've been told about Halo this year, you have the TV show, you have the mm-hmm. game that has no content. You know, when I say no content, it's like no, like the the, the great time when uh, season two was right when the get when season two happened outside the bugs because you got to experience the new maps, the new modes, and you're like that was great. And then essentially you go on a break, right? But everything else has just been negative, 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 and that does have an impact on on your psyche, even though it will keep you interested in the long run. So if they can start, they can tighten up their seasons. They can figure figure out what their their work strategy is there. Then I think they can they a games as a service game for as many people who say they hate it. There's a hell of a lot of people who sure play them. Like words versus the actual numbers. Like I think are the, the it's a it's a wide gap. 
<coughs> well, somebody's saying that should have affected the last few Halo games. I think somebody might say that it did affect Halo 5. They would say that it did affect the quality of Halo 5 and the, and the issues there and the, the, the weird decision that they made and the vision that they had for that game. It, it likely could have been related to the 18-month policy. We also don't know that was this a slow process? Like, did they slowly get 343 turned into a company that just had more and more contracted employees as opposed to full-time? Because that, if you think about what that would do to a company, slowly but surely the people that are on staff would say, we don't like working under Microsoft. We don't like what this is doing to the company. I'm out. And you would just slowly have this outward trickle of full-time, which then means you have to make up that with contracted workers if you're trying to fall under that policy if like Microsoft's like listen we don't want you hiring just continue to use contracted workers so you end up with you know the, like, like if we imagine the staff was like 80-20 working on Halo 5 slowly working towards this 50-50 split that these people claim the company was in that's that's an in, that's that's almost an insidious process like what if that's why Rare has barely done anything other than Sea of Thieves and even Sea Ugh. of Thieves even Sea of Thieves has taken a super long time to really flesh itself out. If you think about when it launched, like Rare seems like the shell of its former self as well. Like this, the micro, the policy at Microsoft seems to be, and this isn't on Microsoft gaming. This is Microsoft parent company policy. Like this seems to be at the heart of what's hurting these companies that get purchased and fall under that, that umbrella and that ownership. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And I, and again, like, I think it did impact Halo 5, but I'm also rooting for them because I, I feel like a Halo Infinite, from a gameplay perspective, they they got it. It feels great. Now, there's weapon balancing things. Like, all of that. I'm never really concerned with, like, oh, they have to tweak this or that. Like, if I love playing it. Like, you get me in a match, this is great. But then I'm just like, I want more of it. And the more isn't, isn't coming. And uh, the more in the past has been solved with Forge. The more in the past has been solved with progression that that makes sense right like the more in, in the past has been solved with that i think halo 5 though was uh was one of the weaker weaker offerings um you know where when when, it, when it's all said and done but you know people are obviously going to have a favorite favorite halo game my favorite halo game right now is still is still captain at three yeah you know, I, I it's like i'm still still chasing that high well let me let me sneak this one in here then as a topic before we end with the the one you want to talk about the gaming recession this is related this is related because we got into a starfield debate this week and i i i my theory i believe we're going to get confirmation of this one day somebody for somebody at bethesda is going to talk to the press and confirm this i believe that starfield's delay is because microsoft is making them put it on the series s and I believe that Starfield was originally planned to be a PS5 timed exclusive. There's rumors about that. And then I also think it was only going to be on the X, the Series X, because we've we've read mm. through a, a, a number of quotes about the slower memory and the smaller amount of memory in the Series S being a problem. And when we look at Starfield's performance issues, even in their own trailer, you have to wonder, is this thing struggling to run on Series S? Like, are they having to take time to optimize it? And I wonder if part of the contract when Bethesda gets bought is Microsoft says, listen, the S's sales projections are wonderful. It's selling very well. We want that game on Series S or it's going to be a really big problem for us because you're now a first party company. You're now a first party title. Well, imagine selling somebody a console and then saying they couldn't play a game. (laughs) Especially a first party title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
yeah um i don't know like well i would obviously have to wait for any kind of documentation uh or any kind of like expose that that it that comes out along those lines um i think essentially it is unfortunate that they got they got delayed but i think it ends up being that everybody's still kind of trying to figure out game development in a distributed world uh, and i can't understate the fact that like the covid really hit a lot of people now here in two or three years once establishments protocols uh models when it comes down to game development modeling uh, as i as a software engineer get to know you a client uh, better and your system better my projections get more accurate my my quotes get more accurate right but what it, what you probably have here is that you have long form development things that take time all of a sudden you have a big global thing that takes people out of the normal operating you know ways and then all your models aren't ma made for that so when somebody would come to me like if i was in charge of starfield and if i was like yeah i'm, I'm really good i know exactly how long it's going to take us to get these features done all of a sudden my projections can become wildly inaccurate and because there's factors that we haven't we can't really fully understand or study and so when we come back to it same thing with halo same thing with the development halo probably the same thing with new world same thing with any of the, like all this stuff it's like everybody got hit by this and you have to learn to figure out what that looks like uh going forward now couldn't that can they get it to run on series s i think so i mean we, we have so much scaling technology we have so much res like okay well what, what would it take well lower resolution okay like that's just the trade-off that you're going to get same thing with a graphics card right but what it does mean for the development cycle that a lot i don't see a lot of people making uh like talking about is that the reason why console development was so much easier is that you and I, I knew this, the platform that you're on. So you, your platform was exactly like everybody else's platform. But now you have a Series X, Series S, but you're also developing it for PC. You got multiple graphics cards. You got, especially when you get on the PC side, multiple configurations, multiple SKUs. So all of a sudden, any of these things could cause a problem and you got to do way more testing now than you ever had before. You got to make sure that all of these things are being done and tested. And that just takes even more time and so we've seen even stories about like like how even companies that are just built around testing games are hurting for people like it's like they like there's just so much more work now to be done and they're they're, they're struggling to find people and so prices are going to you know fluctuate and go up and that's not necessarily a bad thing but we even saw recently the the testing studio for blizzard recently unionized because they were getting their butts beat because of how much demand is out there and, and all the different supporting platforms. So that would be my take. Just, I mean, again, as a fly in the wall here, not actually, you know, knowing specifically if, if that is what, what is happening. I made a bold prediction. I said that I think AAA games that are third party, like they're not owned by Microsoft, if they're truly trying to build a next-gen game with all the bells and whistles and all the good stuff, if it's going to be multi-platform, if it's going to land on PC, Xbox, and PlayStation... I made the bold prediction that there will be some next-gen games that skip the Series S. They're just going to say it's not worth the trouble. Do you think that that's a possibility or that no one's going to be willing to sacrifice that reach? Because the Series S is selling very well, but is it going to be worth dealing with the increased workload of, we got optimized for the weakest system on the market? I think it, and that's when you see the, the bigger push for cloud gaming, um, because then essentially... Uh, you just they're like oh yeah it it you know yeah series s you got to cloud stream it or you see more cloud compute like requiring online access you know internet mm -hmm. on series s 
where the X would just handle it. Uh, so you would have to have some form of cloud compute and or streaming, most likely based off the investment that a lot of people are making into streaming, that if they do that route, it would be that, yes, you can play it on Series S through xCloud. You're like, that's the, that's, that's the announcement. That's the pitch, you know, in that case. Okay. Okay. We'll see. We'll see. People, there are people yeah, that yeah. really disagree with me on that. They're like, there's no way. There's no way because there's going to be so many Series S's in circulation. I'm like, oh, I know. I know. I think it's going to be a great system for, for, as far as market saturation. But I, uh, I think there'll be a couple devs, not a bunch. Like, I don't think it's going to be a ton. It's going to be devs that are really trying to push the envelope of next gen. They're going to be like, listen, the PC market, PS5 and the Series X, that's a big enough market for us. We don't need to go through all this trouble. Uh, to optimize for the Series S because of the the issues that, that it brings. Because there was a couple of guys at ID Software that said, listen, lowering resolution is not this is not as easy and it's not a one-size-fits-all solution. There's guys working on the Metro games right. that said, it's not even the memory, it's the GPU. It's just that we're having issues with it. It's yeah. it's tough. There, there are companies that already would... speaking out about they're having to do more work for the S. That would be uh, that would be a Microsoft call though. Like it, like the developer could say like, yeah, we're not going to support the S, but it if Microsoft's like, if you want it certified, like it's it's got to run on Series S and X. So that would have to like that would be an absolute Microsoft call. So if that did happen, that means that they said okay. But that's where I would sit here and just say I, I'd say they pivoted from a we got the cloud. Like cloud is Series X, right? You know, so it's like hey, use your Series S to boom boom. You know. And we're gonna we're gonna use our tech to to enhance it, right? We're running on uh, we're running on you know whatever it's called the Samsung TVs now. Like the, the, if they do that, it would be a marketing spin. I wouldn't. I don't. I just don't see. I don't see that happening this generation. I see that being something where they say it runs on Series X and whatever the heck the next generation is. Like mm-hmm. where they where they just kind of say like, yeah, sorry, this game is really next gen, but we got it to work on the Series X for you. We couldn't go two hops back, you know. Um, yeah. Who knows? I mean, time will tell who, um, if you're right. If they, if they do it, I think that would be I think that would be pretty dramatic. I, as if I owned the Series S with the promise that I would be able to play games on this generation with it, and then all of a sudden there are certain games that I couldn't play. That's not a good feeling. It's not. It wouldn't be a good feeling. Oh, of course not. And and Microsoft has the vested interest in getting people to do like if you're right, like the cloud solution. But the developer might say, "Listen, we're we're not invested in your ecosystem. Like we we don't want our game on cloud. It's not going to look or run as well." I I played some games on the on the PlayStation Premium Cloud as well as the Xbox Cloud, and mm-hmm. that latency and that that input delay it uh, it hinders it 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 hurts the experience. And I could imagine a developer being like, "We do not want our game played on the cloud like that. It's not going to be the the next gen awesome experience we're looking for." So. We'll uh we'll keep our eye on that prediction because that's that's one that uh, I I threw that out there and I was like we'll see we'll see if it happens because I said yeah I bet you summer of next year we'll mm-hmm. see some trailers and some announcements and they'll just quietly not say the S because there's even some games right now that just sort of softly and quietly delayed and they just dropped old gen and they didn't really say anything about it and I'm like yeah that's I, true I could see something similar happening with the S they'll just be like yeah we're launching on ps5 and the series x and pc and people are like wait did did you intentionally not say the s and they'll just kind of like not really draw attention to it you know yeah it's gonna be interesting to see so 
obviously time will tell <laughs> time will tell um one thing though is that we kind of been hinting at throughout this entire discussion uh is what the fourth topic is is the upcoming or at least the perceived upcoming gaming recession and to set some context as to why i think we're talking about this here is that i was on recently the acg podcast and he's uh, we were talking and he was talking about how he's talked with yang ya and skill up and a bunch of other like youtubers and everybody is feeling it right like they're all feeling this massive dip and so we were starting to theorize and i really love to get your thoughts on this specifically but we were starting to theorize that it's two parts in terms of it now generally speaking when it comes to recessions uh gaming is usually considered recession proof being that if people have less money to spend you can buy a game and you can get a lot more entertainment value for 60 dollars as opposed to like going to the movie for like 60 bucks and getting two hours of entertainment so gaming it tends to actually benefit during a recession because it ends up being a bigger time invest like a bigger time sink for your dollar but what we're actually looking at though is that in terms of gaming it's more about game marketing which i think across youtube i don't know if anybody's ever looked at their cpms we've seen a big i think a big old dip uh in that regards so the two theories are is that the industry blew its load in february with all of these games so from just a big game announcement just a big game extravaganza that all happened early in this year and people are experiencing a natural game drought which games uh games you know years have times in which there's just not a lot of games that are coming out each and every week with the exception of ninja turtles if you guys haven't played the new tmnt game it is absolutely amazing but the other theory though is that with that with like everything going on in the world stage people they're still doing and investing in making games but they're just right now especially pulling heavily back on their marketing so mm -hmm. you're not having a lot of hype and a lot of news cycle stuff right now because also they're not doing a lot of ad buys especially so you're not getting inundated all the time now that doesn't mean that you're not getting an ad it just doesn't mean that you're getting inundated with as many ads so talking again with like uh with Carrick with uh you know and his him talking kind of behind the scenes with the other bigger youtubers everybody's just kind of seeing this this big old drop and i'm I, there could be obviously more factors at play than just that but i'd love to know your thoughts lono like are you feeling the are you feeling any kind of dip in in viewership are you feeling any kind of dip in engagement is it all just a youtube algorithmic shift or like are we seeing kind of right now everybody's just like well you know i'm still playing games from february I, there's not like what you know all the stuff is coming in november next like mm -hmm. we have a big old gap what do you think yeah we felt it this week especially because we call it uh creature and i say we just made that up like if we have to just kind of grab something and create a show out of thin air we we, we say that's when we're just making stuff up like mm. we're not being we're, we're being facetious when we say this right we're not being like actually genuinely making things up we're not like lying or whatever but it's like when there's no big significant news we're just kind of like what are we going to talk about and we 100 percent every day i got on the phone with him today he was like it's dry out here bro there's nothing happening and I think this is normal for where we are right now. I don't think it's normal in the gaming world up to this point, but I think it's normal for where we are right now. Mm -hmm. And what I think is happening is a couple of things. I do think at one level, video game companies are reevaluating their marketing because the era mm -hmm. of, hey, put out some crazy trailer and hype machine four years in advance and then, you know, trickle things out for four years. I don't think they're doing that anymore because, number one, 
developers might be getting a little bit more vocal and saying this is so counterproductive because when you show a product that early it's never going to look like that once it finally launches like watchdogs the division anthem virtually i don't know any game that decided to show its head that early it just doesn't end up looking yeah like oh, yeah that. So I think that is happening. I definitely think marketing strategies are shifting to shorter windows of time that could be a little bit more effective. I also think they're just thinking through organic marketing because, I mean, Apex Legends certainly probably had an impact on rethinking the idea of, like, leveraging streamers, leveraging YouTube, leveraging those those funnels because you don't have to have targeted marketing. That is the market. Like, that's the target. Like, that they're there. They're watching these guys play. And so I think that's having influence. The other thing that I think is happening is people don't want to to do too much too soon. So mm-hmm. June was like hot and heavy, and then yeah. everybody goes quiet in July. Okay? Yeah. And then I think it'll kind of ramp up again because there's a lot of releases in August and September. And so that's what I, I'm starting to feel that rhythm of like everybody kind of goes crazy and then everybody goes quiet and then everybody goes crazy and then everybody goes quiet. I feel like that's kind of intentional because everybody's pining for something like, please say something like, look at what happened when there was a leak about the God of War Ragnarok release date announcement. Yeah. It wasn't oh, man. A, wasn't a state of play. Wasn't yeah. more gameplay. It was literally we're going to announce the release date and they didn't do it on the leaked day and everyone lost their dadgum minds to the point that like Corey Barlog's like, can you please stop harassing our employees? Apparently people were sending explicit images because I, I guess that makes you feel better about the, the delayed announcement. Uh, but- and that's just something that's so disappointing about gaming culture though, is that a, it didn't come out of official channels. It came from leaks. We run into this all the time in final fantasy 14 People will data mine stuff and then people will go and assume things based off of data mining. And then the real information comes out and it isn't exactly matched the envisioned thing that somebody thought of. And then people just rage. And honestly, mm-hmm. like, I think that there, there's a probably a bigger psychological problem in that is that guys, like you're looking at leaked information. That means it can change. Like just accept that. But there's like when when that happens and people get that mad and then they go off and do like things like that and harass devs. Like I think there's something else wrong there. Like that's that's not. I don't think that's natural. I don't think that's a healthy reaction to the event. And I'm sure I'm gonna piss somebody off with that thought. But oh my oh, gosh, like sure. I, as a dad, I'm just like, all right, um, let's uh, let's take a break. Let's turn. It's time to turn off the game, son. And it's time to go play some baseball or something. Let's go get some vitamin D in our system and see if we feel better. Yeah, yeah. Like some of these people definitely need to get help, but <laughs> I I do think that was indicative and a great example of what happens when everyone's sort of starved and dying for something. Like please just say something, please just announce something. And I think it's actually working in their favor because God of War Ragnarok got way more press and way more people talking about it. Because True. everyone was dying for them to just say something. I was a little irritated with them because they updated the placeholder date in the store like the day before Summer Game Fest. I felt like they were kind of manipulating the public a little bit. Mm. I'm not going to like scold them for that. But I do yeah. think people get to the point where like, can you just freaking say something? And I think the entire gaming 
community as well as the industry, the marketing, the developers, I think they're monitoring that and seeing if we go quiet for a while, it's more effective when we finally say something. So the rhythm this year has very much felt like everybody's just agreed to shut up for a certain (laughs) amount of time. And then all of a sudden it starts all coming out at the exact same time. There's also just the sheer volume of certain games. Modern Warfare 2 hits. Nobody wants to say anything when that happens, when they release something. God of War Ragnarok hits with an announcement or something. Nobody wants to say anything when that happens because they know all the algorithms, all the impressions, all the discoverability gets squashed beneath that. Like you're living in uh, in that shadow. So I also yeah. think that's another element at play that w- when the Agreed. big boys start talking, everybody else is like, don't say a freaking word. We got to wait two weeks now so that we mm-hmm. can get more top of mind, more presence, and more of a footprint with our marketing budget. Yeah, you're 100% right. That's one of the things that, like I was thinking, as kind of alluding to that third category, is that we've kind of started, and the algorithms themselves, in a way, are dictating when and how things then uh, get consumed. My thought also, in terms of like why it feels like there's this bigger dip, is that I'm I feel like like when you look at the past couple of years, especially with COVID, like summertime was big. Like they were the numbers were big, and when you start to think that maybe they were inflated because people were just at home, and then all of a sudden it's like people don't aren't stuck at home, and they're like I'm out of here. Like I, I've got to get out of the house. I'm gonna go do stuff. Uh, me and the kids have been going to the swimming pool and playing outside a lot more than we, you know, like then than we were in the last two years. So that's obviously pulling us in that regards. And so I always wondered, like, if the algorithm was like, oh, every summer for the last two months have been just really big for like these kind of categories, and then they're underperforming, and then the algorithm's like, oh, I guess I should push that even less than than anything else. And so you end up actually seeing less of it because I, 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 what I told Carrick uh, like on the show was like. My feed is I haven't. I have to seek out a Lono video. I have to seek out like a different, you know, a gaming creator video. I'm doing more search to find the thing that I want because my feed is just filled with reaction, reaction, reaction. I think maybe that's also one aspect of it. It's just piling into like what what the thing thinks I want, and I'm like, I don't really want that. And some of the times I do want it. So you know, I don't know. I guess the you know, obviously feeds are very tailored, but. I just I'm I'm just like yeah my my YouTube feed my my homepage just looks different right now. Well, you t- in the realm of YouTube, so if we want to talk shop a little bit, they <laughs> do. they are totally jacking around with stuff this week. I can tell like stuff just yeah. doesn't look right. Like today, my background view counts are frozen for like thirty five to forty five minutes. I'm like I don't know how many views we've we've had. <laughs> like I don't know what's going on. And we've also noticed that we'll have like a really strong stream but then the total view count doesn't look right it's like we've had strong streams like that before and had significantly better numbers i think they're doing something goofy with uh tabulating and calculating metrics they're fiddling with something there and live streams are really funky right now apparently tonight at like 9 p.m eastern i believe um somebody named barbara she is going to, I guess, unveil some new things for the live streaming environment. So guys like me are sitting here just absolutely blue in the face, holding my breath like, please, please, can we get a really good live streaming UI update? Because we, we, we did this in a members-only stream. We started kind of comparing 
where YouTube looks compared to what the purple platform looks like, and we're just grossly behind. It's yeah, they're, they're at one level. At one level, I don't like to hear excuses because you're owned by Google and you're YouTube. So what in the world is happening? But there's also been some shakeups. Fwiz left, and then just today, the global head of gaming left as well. So there could be some log jams because these guys were getting ready to exit and maybe they just weren't capitalizing. Maybe they weren't executing on plans effectively. These guys seem to want to go make their money in the Web3 space. Good luck. NFTs continue to crash and scams continue to run abroad. (laughs) That entire... These Web3 people are... They're going to be coming back hat in hand very soon. That's my prediction. I think they're all going to absolutely lose on a lot of these deals that they think they're going to make a ton of money. I don't think they're going to make anything uh i think this has been the cause of a lot of the criticism and concern surrounding even dr disrespects game so i I do think that's been a factor with youtube is that they're losing people that were in positions that my theory if i'm just going to shoot from the cuff i think these people were 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 failing to execute and that's why they're gone i think it was like we need new leadership we need new people in positions we need people that understand the live space because youtube starts they're they're taking surveys now and they're asking me questions about tiktok because i think tiktok's making a play they're making a big push Uh, oh tiktok's been huge and so obviously that's how we got the shorts and so I've been making like the shorts and like, it's just interesting. Someone goes this is like, and I, I've been setting that thing cause you can go on YouTube and say, don't publish to your subscribers. And so that's what I've been doing. Cause I'm like, all right, you guys have subscribed. You haven't subscribed for short content. I'm just doing some experiments and to see how they perform. And somebody will like provide like, this feels like a TikTok. I'm like, that is the best thing I guess you could say. Cause I think that is the objective of what they're trying uh, to create, you know, in yeah. that regards and uh, you know, alternative, to TikTok and that endless scrolling kind of mindset. So at its core, I was like, yeah, that's what I was like. I'm wondering, like, is it is it also that the content cycle has changed? People are consuming like where I've often uh, made the case that while video game reviews will always be there, I believe the shift has gone into live streaming to have a discussion about the game with gameplay as opposed to watching somebody's opinion about the game having played it early or have been given the game by a company to tell you about the game. I think I've seen, I think I would say that from the, from what I've studied, it feels more has shifted into a live stream, a kind of a representation of maybe a genre or a specific franchise who enjoys that. Then they end up being like, that's where people are going for the reviews. Yes. They're still watching reviews, but they're watching reviews to get their, their opinion validated, their cost validated, but they're going to live streams to actually see if they want to invest the money or not. Yeah, yeah. And I think that their YouTube at the moment is just being slow. Like, they were really slow with gifted members. It was really, really a huge bummer. But, like, I remember being on Purple, and every time they rolled out a new feature, it broke the entire site for, like, a week, and it was super frustrating. Like, you'd go to go live, and it wouldn't work, and stuff was breaking, and your streams were crashing, and it was like, what what do they do? Oh, we added this to the chat. It's like, oh my gosh, you guys are breaking the site. So, to me, I actually 
like that they're going slow because even with gifted members it's like it went off without a hitch and it worked but it clearly needs other things added to it it needs to be improved like can i please just click on someone's name and give them a membership can can we can we do that can we target individuals can i get metrics on them i don't know what in the world's going on i don't know who gifted the most i don't know who was it gifted and now isn't 20, like 20 30 uh we got we brought some new stats for you on your on your analytics screen yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Like, I, like, thing to, to echo that point, and and I hear the door knocking. I guess my kids need me. Um, but to echo that point, like, I I wish I could see chat history, like, just from an individual. It's yes. like Because it's like, are they trolling? Like the Asmongold clip in which that he saw, like, that somebody was trolling. One second. Uh, the uh, that he was trolling. That somebody was just like, oh, he's this guy's coming off as somebody who's fake. You you have that. You have that tool. You don't have that on YouTube. Same thing with the comments. I've watched all your videos and you know, this is whatever. It's like, have you? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, let me let me verify that. Oh, this guy's just trying to get a response and YouTube doesn't give me the tools that I can, that I need, that I that would help my mental health, that would help my enjoyment of content creation. And so I end up having, as I've grown, having to get more selective in terms of like what I choose to read because every, like reading something feels the same way. It, it, unless you're if you're talking to somebody there's different like you're like oh i have a relationship with this person i know this person everybody every text every tweet can carry the same weight positive or negative and, and it, that that tweet just might be you know that 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 comment might just be bogus like it, you know it, but we we end up elevating like all this different these different ideas because they're written down and for some reason in our brains written means like i guess you know a valued or or, or respected or an authentic a viewpoint. Yeah, well, and there's a report that, you know, Weezy just put in the Discord that, you know, teen kids and teens are spending more time on TikTok than YouTube. I said this the other day. I said I, mm-hmm. I think I think this is actually gonna hurt Twitch long term because I don't I don't think Twitch is adapting to the landscape. Yeah. I think they're just stuck in that live live only environment, which They've cornered that market, but I think in five years or so, that generational shift's going to hurt them the way that Facebook got hurt by the generational shift. And I think YouTube has got to be paying attention to this and thinking, okay, we need to adapt to the generational shift. We, we can't get left behind here. So I do like that they're having polls and they're asking me about TikTok. They're trying to offer something that seems similar to it. And now they need to start offering things that are similar to Purple because YouTube could essentially approach the digital content creation realm the way that kind of like Amazon approached the you know the book realm like they sort of took over more yeah. than just digital reading they took over industries essentially and that iteration and that uh, that multi-purpose nature of the site like once they diversified their their offering, I think YouTube's in the position to do that. They just, they're really, really slow, which is always a bummer. But I think that's just the nature of a site that is this large. I think, this you know. large. I couldn't imagine being somebody who was in charge of working that. Like, I'd be stressed out. Imagine pushing out an update and, like, all of a sudden, half the site is just not functional, especially because of how profitable it is. It's like, oh, we're down for six, you know, six hours. Like, that's millions and millions of dollars. And so, pressing that button means that you're going to take every precaution to make sure that when that does go into production that you're like yeah that was that was great so you have to have larger teams that means a lot more meetings a lot more management a lot more overhead um but youtube though you know in its in and of itself is uniquely positioned to have a content offering unlike tiktok and unlike twitch but they could offer all of it in which that like 
they, they kind of tease this, right? You have a live stream and somebody, let's say, made a clip and then all of a sudden that clip actually gets turned into a short. And if that all actually started happening automatically, I'm going to say magically in this case, like how powerful would that be that people could consume your content and you, the creator, literally just get to go and, and do the job and, and have the fun. All of a sudden, if this podcast was like, hey, here are the best moments. People made these clips. Those are what are on your shorts. By the way, it's already handled. People click on that short and they're like, I want to see more. Boom, they're now in the stream. Like it's like they have YouTube has that as a as a as a pipeline, as a potential for the future of the content and how people consume it. It could truly be really magical, but we're not there yet. And maybe, maybe we'll learn some visual stuff that like I think again, the low-hanging fruit is is that you have a platform that's doing it. Twitch can't seem to figure out like VOD-based, you know, clip content, and they're losing to TikTok. Tick. Twitch could have done that. Like Twitch could have had the admin the, the TikTok before TikTok, but clearly, like they're uh, you know, and they're gonna they're gonna struggle in that environment. YouTube has the heads up, but clearly TikTok is doing something right. Unless they get banned, unless anybody's like, yeah, with all the data, you know, in China and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, they could get banned in America. I also think TikTok could be a bottle rocket platform because there is no it's really hard to community build there. Like once the stream is gone, right. it's gone. It's you can't gone. rewatch it. It's, it's really hard to connect with chat because it's literally just like a scrolling thing. And short-form content is great. It works great for low attention span. People just can just scroll, scroll, scroll. It really does that that hook. Is, is that hurting us, though, well, like as, as, a, as a species? You think probably. about like just my, or like mindless scrolling and all of a sudden it's like, all right, I can't focus anymore. Like that's where it's like uh, that, that, that is a parent. That's something that's concerning to me. Seeing the studies that that have been coming out about social media's impact just on developing brains, I'm like, oh hell no! I'm sorry. Like, yeah, you, you welcome to college. Now you may now you may check out the internet or like you know social media or something like that. Yeah, and I wonder if that's that's going to inherently make TikTok a short run. Like, I think they I mm. think one of the reasons that TikTok is wanting to do this big push into gaming into streaming is because I think they 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 know if we're just this short form content if we're just this sort of non-community focused content this will be a short run it'll be a good run it'll be a very lucrative run but it'll be a short run you have to have something yeah. to get the users to come back I think in a more communal sense because I do think that is something that led to Twitch's growth and their continued dominance of live streaming environment, it's the communal aspect. I think that is something that both Twitch and YouTube, I'm sorry, both TikTok and YouTube have to consider is it's not just about getting the views. It's not just about getting the clicks and the ad revenue. You want those people to be coming back in an almost you know systemic way in a communal sense, because then it's far more likely that they're going to fall into monetization structures because TikTok has already launched paid memberships. Like you can give somebody, you know, five, 10, 15 bucks or whatever and get a little logo next to your name and get little emos. They're already doing that. So they're wow. already seeing, they're already seeing that, that, that there's money to be made there. Well, I'm glad they're seeing that there's money to be made there. It's like, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see if YouTube comes out and be like, we turned on gifted memberships and then we made endless amounts of money like it's like oh my gosh the, the feature cost us five million to develop and all of a sudden we made five billion dollars off of it. you know so like i'm, I'm kind of curious i don't think they'll ever share this kind of stats but i know it's been very beneficial to me and when we talk about ad rates and 
like potential gaming recessions here on YouTube. Like y'all over here with the green uh, name tags, supporting the channel, supporting Lono. Like that is such a powerful and freeing aspect so that he doesn't have to go and sit here and, you know, have to try and, and, and you know, create controversy. Like you see that it's like, yeah, like y'all support makes like, I think the best content on the internet possible. So I just want to say thank you all for y'all support of that man. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate you saying that. And I do appreciate the people that have, uh, that have gifted members or become members because I've told them before, I've been saying this lately is that at some level, we're trying to foster a new culture on YouTube because there's not a spending culture. It's like, if you like live streams on YouTube, I don't live and die on ad revenue. I can't be running ads every 30 seconds. I can't be running ads every 20 minutes. That would be absolutely disruptive and it would devalue the product significantly. And the members, both gifted and new, that's the only way something like this grows and flourishes into something that's larger and scalable and just continues to improve and, and, and great great you know great value, right? If we if we mm. don't have those members, we don't have anything, which is one of the reasons why We've actually started doing more members-only content, which we're getting ready to go into some of that right now. We've actually started to do uh, an after-show for this roundtable. It's just a great way to kind of hang out with me and uh, and Mike and Brian whenever we're done with the show. Uh, and so we appreciate people that are members, and we want to get that little touch every day of the week, basically. That's what we've been doing. Like every day of the week, we'd spend the last 30 minutes to maybe sometimes an hour to two hours just hanging out with the members, as well as Friday night. So if you're listening to this and you're not a member, you can become one. You hit the button. A bunch of you are. And so we're going to be redirecting to that shortly. For those of you that listen to the show weekly or you listen to the show as a podcast, you can always check us out live on YouTube. Uh, just go look for Reforge Gaming or you can go to reforgegaming.live. And then, Ginger, tell them the best place to find you uh, and your content. The best way to start is over at Ginger Prime. Uh, if you guys ever follow any of the, the links, etc., that is the best place to start. I usually, uh, so that is my more variety game channel, typically focusing in on RPGs, probably 99% like RPG discussion, etc. And then from there, I have more focused breakout channels to kind of cover the more impassioned, like here's the news that's, that's covering. It's like, it gives me the ability to make a two minute or a three minute video about whatever the news just is. Because uh, I like doing that kind of content, and I found that trying to do all of that on one channel was really stressing out everybody. So, uh, if you started Ginger Prime, you should be able to find uh, anything that, uh, in terms of the games that I like to play and cover, uh, you'll be able to find uh, if they have a sub channel uh, set up and ready to go. So, uh, check it out. So that'd be wonderful. And occasionally, uh, I, I stream. So, <laughs> but it's usually rare. Not not as much as this guy. Uh, maybe once, maybe maybe twice a week. If uh, if my, my, my family is, yeah, you know, like game for it. Well, I, yeah, I try to stream pretty much every day. We, uh, yeah. we, uh, well, not pretty much. I mean, I, I try to stream multiple times a day, two or three times a day, uh, all throughout the week. And, uh, we've got this, uh, structure now where we do two shows every day. And then we, we, we go to the members only stuff. We are getting into the reaction content. That's been fun. So maybe 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 we get my uh, me and Gin, me and Ginger ranting about reaction content over in the after show. You're not going to want to miss it. I'm actually gonna I'm gonna push live on it. I'm gonna push live. We're gonna head over to it. Hey, if you clicked on this and we weren't live, you're a member and you're getting to watch the Reforge Roundtable after show this week with me and Ginger Prime, and that's a nice perk for you as a member. We hang out for maybe 30 minutes, maybe a little bit longer, just kind of talking out of view of the public 
from the previous stream. I'm actually going to end the previous episode, so all of you that watched and supported this episode, thank you for watching the Reforged Roundtable. We'll see you next time. And 